Hi, everybody. We've been looking at the prophets for the last several weeks, and you know, the prophets are really important in the Old Testament. Uh, the ancient rabbis, they divided the Old Testament into three parts, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Law are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The, the writings are things like Proverbs, things like Psalms. I think there's 12 total works in the, in the, the writings. But the prophets, there were 22 prophets, and uh, they're a huge part of the Old Testament tradition. And they were God's messengers. They spoke out when Israel was going astray. And the message was, something bad is going to happen if you don't turn back to God. And, and that's really important because the Old Testament's prophets painted a picture of a future that would happen if they didn't turn back to God. In Hebrew, the word uh, that we translate as repent, that's simply their verb to turn. It's shuv in Hebrew, and you're supposed to turn from where you're going back to God. That's, that's what a repentance is in Hebrew. And that's really important because the future the prophets of the Old Testament painted was not a done deal. It was more a huge warning, this bad thing's going to happen if you don't turn back to God. And there's a lot of prophets. We're looking at a, about a half a dozen of them in this series. Uh, we put together a pretty broad range of prophets for this series. Uh, some are old, some are young, some are educated, some are not. Uh, most have a message of hope, but, but not all of them. Um, some we know quite a bit about and some we really don't know much about. Today's prophet is really unique. Honestly, it's one that I haven't spent a lot of time uh, since school with, and that's Hosea. Hosea is an incredibly complicated book, but I think Hosea has a huge message for us today, um, and that's the message of unrequited love, which is something I think everyone can understand. Unrequited love is a love that's not returned. It's a love that is rejected, that's spurned. Pretty much anybody who's made it through their adolescent years, uh, they've experienced unrequited love on some level. But one of the hardest things I've had to deal with over the years uh, as a pastor in marital issues, when we learned that one spouse has switched loyalty uh, from their spouse to another person, Every marriage is going to have problems, I guarantee you. We all go through seasons of difficulty. And I've always felt if both parties are committed to working on the marriage, uh, we, can, we can get through just about anything. Anything get overcome. And, and I really feel if we work through those difficult seasons, the marriage gets even stronger. But when there's a third party involved, everything changes. Uh, one spouse switches loyalty to another outside of the marriage. And that can just easily be the death of marriage because it takes two to make a marriage, but it really just takes one to make a divorce. And that is so hard to see happen as a pastor. One's willing to work, the other's not. They've just moved on and they're done. That's unrequited love, being traded in, being left behind, and, and knowing you can't do anything about it. 
you rejected, your love's not returned. So Hosea teaches, when we put someone or something in the place of God, that's exactly how God feels. Like when someone's beloved chooses another. Hosea teaches us about the unrequited love that God feels when we stray from God. Hosea is one of the oldest prophets uh, right after Amos, mid-8th century BC. Uh, he was called during King Josiah's, uh, Jeroboam's reign, excuse me, or Jeroboam. And, and the deal was he spoke out against this allegiance that Israel had with Assyria. And it started with Jeroboam's great-grandfather, a couple of generations back, King Jehu. We've heard about this phrase, the word of the Lord, uh, a lot in the last several weeks. And, and the Lord, word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Micah. And we've talked about this, the phrase in Hebrew, it, it's really like the things of the Lord. Um, like this prophet experienced the things of the Lord and their call, their ministry, that was just a, a result of the experience. We saw Jeremiah has struggled his whole life with the things of the Lord that he experienced. But Jeremiah always followed God's call, even when he didn't want to. And I hope we understand this experience is a gift. They see things how God sees things, the prophets. They, frankly, they see how God's people are acting and they see how God wants them to act. And we learn in, in Jonah, this wasn't just for Israel, right? So, so in Jonah, we saw God saw what the foreigners were doing, how the Ninevites were acting, and, and he realized, Jonah did, God cared for the foreigners, even though they're Israel's enemies. And, and, and Jonah realized he's supposed to care for his enemies. And then if he cared for them, Jonah realizes he's supposed to go help them. And he didn't like that, so we saw he ran away. And the point was, Jonah experienced the things of the Lord because he saw how God sees things in a way no one else did. Hosea experienced the things of the Lord. He saw how God sees things when his children choose against him. He understood how God feels when we put something or something else in the place of God. And that's unrequited love. There's two main symbols in the book of Jonah. The first is a husband who married a woman who is just repeatedly unfaithful to him. The second is a person who has a child who just is out of control and runs off. Both instances, it's about unrequited love. Listen to the first couple of verses of Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman. Have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Hebrew is a lot more graphic here. Uh, it says Hosea's experience with the things of the Lord tells him God feels his relationship with Israel is like a man who married a prostitute. 
So Hosea marries Gomer and she fit the vision really well. Now they have three kids and, and Hosea names each of them very symbolically. The first is Jezreel. And Jezreel was named after this village uh, where Israel's relationship with Assyria began, all the way back with King Jehu. And I won't go into the details, but it was incredibly deceitful bloodbath. Jeroboam's great-grandfather started this generational pattern of Israel's rejection with God at Jezreel. Closest thing I can think of is you might name your kid Benedict Arnold or Trojan Horse. They named their next child No Mercy or Not Pitied or Unloved, just depending on how you translate that. So what Hosea is saying there is this union between God and Israel uh, has been filled with unfaithfulness. And what should have been born a sacred, intimate relationship could have brought them closer together. It's actually had the opposite effect. And, And their unfaithful actions have birthed no mercy whatsoever. And the third child is named Not My People or just Not Mine. Going back to the moment that the covenant was established, if you remember through Moses, and God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. Until now, God's saying, they're not my people, they're not mine. Their unfaithfulness broke the covenant. The fruit of their union, God is declaring, they're not mine. Now things get worse and and she becomes more and more unfaithful. Hosea is a hard book content-wise, but it's actually a hard book to translate, and and there's a lot of issues. Hosea was the only northern prophet, um, and some of the translation issues, it it might be uh, because Hosea used a dialect that, uh, frankly, we don't really have the terms. We don't know because it was the only one. Everybody else came from the south. And I wouldn't really know go into that uh, type of thing in a message, but it's important because it has to do with... um, Hope and grace, if we really understand what the text is trying to say here. In chapter 1, Hosea's wife, Gomer, her unfaithfulness is a symbol of Israel's unfaithfulness. Then in chapter 2, she just gets, she goes off the deep end uh, and she pursues all kinds of lovers. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And so Hosea pleads with the children to go plead with Gomer to, to stop, but she just can't. So Hosea is hurt, and Hosea is embarrassed, and Hosea is alone. But then in chapter 3, we hear these words, The Lord said to me again, Go love a woman who has a lover and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and they love raisin cakes. We're going to come back to the random raisin cakes in a minute. Uh, This is a really hard thing to translate, and and there's a word play going on in Hebrew, and it's really easy to miss, and and there's a lot of deep meaning here. Uh, The Lord said to me again, the Lord said to me once more, go love a woman who has a lover, is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel. She loves another. She's with others. But go love her once more, one more time. She's your wife, 
she's going to be your wife again once more. God is saying, restore Gomer as your wife. God bids Hosea to love a woman, a wife, who, who says really here, loves another and is in the act of sexual intimacy with even another still at the time that God is speaking to Hosea. And God doesn't want him just to forgive. That's step one. He really wants Hosea to, to restore Gomer as his bride. This is the vision Hosea was given of God's love for Israel. That's his unfaithful bride. God's bride has been unfaithful with other gods, other peoples. And even when she's in the arms of another, God wants her back. He wants to restore his covenant people. Those who he named not mine, not my people, he, he wants to call them his people once more. So what does Hosea do? Well, listen to chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, homer of barley, and a measure of wine. I said to her, you must remain as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. You shall not have intercourse with a man, nor I with you. For the Israelites shall remain many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the Israelites shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. In 2 Samuel 6.19, um, they give the people raisin cakes uh, when King David installs the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. Uh, they, they hadn't built the temple yet, but the Ark of Covenant was finally home was the point. And they had a celebration, and these raisin cakes were part of the celebration. It was a celebration at a critical moment in their covenant relationship with God. The, the covenant was home, and they were celebrating. What's going on here, God is saying, I, I, I not only want my children back, I want the covenant restored. Gomer is being paid for her unfaithfulness. Just pay that off. Hosea, he set aside his pain, he set aside his humility, he set aside his rejection and his suffering, and he bought her back so that he could love her as his wife once more. This is a celebration of restoration. It's a celebration of amazing grace. A celebration of hope. No matter how unfaithful we are, God wants us back. And I think even more, God is willing to transgress any boundary because he wants to restore his beloved. Now, it needs to be said, these roles could be easily reversed. I, I, I think the husband could easily be the promiscuous one and, and the wife, the, the spouse who experiences the unrequited love. Either way, the focus is not on the scandal. As bad as it is, Hosea's main point is this message of grace. In the midst of embarrassment, in the midst of pain, uh, the, the vulnerability that we see God offer to restore this covenant. 
So ultimately, Hosea, it's not a message of unfaithfulness. It's a message of love and restoration. It's about God's love for God's people. Even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God wants us to return home. And, and he wants to restore that special relationship, that covenant with each of us. Again, the Lord said to me again, Hosea says, the Lord said to me once more, go and love a woman who has a lover and is an adulteress just as the Lord loves the people of Israel. That's amazing grace. Just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, his children, you and me. Speaking of children, the adulterous wife isn't the only symbol uh, Hosea uses to describe unrequited love. Uh, youth read from chapter 11 a little bit earlier in our worship, and there's this metaphor that changes from a husband's love for an adulterous wife to a parent's love for a child that wanders. I think this is just beautiful. Listen to just 11, 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son, and the more I called, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing with Baals and offering incense to idols, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. They didn't know I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift an infant to their cheek. And I bent down and I fed them. God's saying, how can I give them up? <laughs> how can I let them go? And this is the pain of a parent whose child just walks away. You know, think about the prodigal son from Luke. Think about the father in the story of the prodigal son. This son wants his inheritance. While his dad is still alive, meaning he doesn't wait and wait for his dad to die, he goes to his dad, clock's ticking. Dad, I, I want to have fun while I'm young enough to enjoy it, so I, I can't wait for you to die. Just cash me out now. Just give me what I'm going to get when you're gone. And the father does it. But first, you know, the father would have had to come up with the money, the cash, because, you know, they didn't have banks back then. They had land. They had stock animals. And, and they had some property. That means the father would have had to go to his neighbors one by one by one and try to sell his land so he could come up with cash to give to his son. Can you imagine the embarrassment going to your neighbor over and over and over explaining, my son wants his inheritance and I, I, I got to sell that strip of land right next to your property. Um, how much would he give me for it? Or I need to sell some of these cows. Uh, I, my kid, he wants his inheritance now. I got that plow right before the season and you know yours is really looking bad and I, I I gotta have some cash I'll make you a deal on this what oh it's my boy he wants his inheritance 
Can you imagine the humility? It would have taken months to get the cash together to give to his son. All the while, son's coming and going out of the house, the older brother watching the whole thing. The father did it because he loved him. After the kid blew it all, his life's work gone down the drain, kid came back. And the father didn't just do what the kid wanted, which was to be a hired hand. If you remember the story, he thought he could just go and be a hired hand on the farm. No, the, the father restored him as his beloved son. He threw him a party. I bet they had some raisin cakes. This is how God's love works. It's not just forgiveness, it's restoration. 8th century BC, that's how God's love works. In the midst of this crazy 2020 that we're in, I think that's how God's love works. And in 30 AD, as Jesus hung on a cross, that's certainly how God's love worked. The vulnerability and the humility of becoming a human. Dying that we can live. That we can be restored. Last chapter, Hosea, it's all about restoration. God's love restores us. Over and over in the Bible, God, God just doesn't forgive us. God restores us, and, and there's a huge difference there. That's what the prodigal son was all about. Not just forgiveness, but restoration of the son to his rightful place as the beloved. Same with Hosea. The wife is not just forgiven, but, but she's restored. And that's what God is yearning for with Israel here. Hosea 14 Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord, says to him. Take away all guilt, accept what is good, and will offer the fruit of our lips, and I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely. My anger has turned from them. What if this whole experience of 2020 could be an opportunity for us to really turn back to God, to be restored as God's children? Time that we, we look deep within and, and we just prayerfully listen to God's call. Where have we fallen short? Have we loved as God wants us to love? Have we loved God as God wants us to love him? What if we didn't just focus on forgiveness, which is huge, don't get me wrong, but, but we, we focus on restoration. That's a new day. I mean, that's a new dawn, right? Last week, we finished our, our panel on uh, racism, Town Talks on Racism. and We had a different panel every week for the last month or so. A couple weeks ago, I, I invited some friends uh, to participate, and, and one was one of my professors. And, you know, it's been 25 years since I was in school. 
Um, but a couple of my professors have really continued over the years to invest in me, and, and one's Paul Chilcote. Um, he was my advisor, PhD from Duke, um, historical theology. I was so blessed to have just a ton of classes with Paul. Like I said, he was my advisor. He even blessed me with an independent study. We just went through the whole history of doctrine, just the two of us. I remember when I took the sign, uh, the, the slip um, describing the course to the dean, and the dean just looked at it, and he said, you really don't realize the sacrifice Paul's making for you. He was an amazing man. So in answering one of the questions a couple weeks ago, Paul talked about the four-chapter gospel in the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created us. The fall, we rebelled. Redemption, God offers forgiveness. And restoration, God restores God restores us as his children, but God restores creation. That ultimate restoration that we read about in, in Revelation, that's, that's creation restored to God's initial dream. That's what we yearn for. But Paul said the American church in the last couple hundred years, we, we've dropped the bookends. We've dropped creation. We've dropped restoration. And we've just focused on the middle two, the fall, and redemption. We've kind of truncated the gospel down to just focus on personal sin and personal forgiveness. And that's huge, and don't, don't misunderstand me, but it's just part of the story. Because God created everything. I mean, the, the beautiful world, the, the oceans, the mountains, the rivers, the animals, and us. And God has this dream and we're journeying toward that dream, the, the kingdom, creation restored. The prodigal wasn't just forgiven. The prodigal was restored as God's child. Gomer wasn't just forgiven. Hosea was to bring her back to restore her as his wife. Israel wasn't just forgiven. They were restored as God's covenant people, God's children. And, and I think we have this short-sightedness when it comes to the gospel. Fallen redemption. We sin, God forgives. Absolutely. But don't forget where we came from and where we're going. Creation and restoration. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's restoration. Is that our prayer? Are we actively working on that, pursuing it, being God's kingdom agents in the world? How is God at work right now? And in the midst of this pandemic, what would it mean for restoration to happen? Because there's a lot of broken right now. If we really believe God created the earth and the heavens, and God created all peoples and all races, and we believe creation is ultimately headed toward this restoration, what does that mean for us? 
as God's children. We're to be the kingdom agents. There's a lot of pain and suffering right now. I think in the midst of Hosea's message of grace and, and forgiveness, don't for a second miss the ultimate message, which is restoration. The kingdom can be experienced. Brokenness can be healed. And we can be restored. We pray with me, Lord, I thank you for your love which transgresses every boundary, your desire to be reunited with us. And in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our brokenness, we thank you for your forgiveness and we yearn for your restoration. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you.